This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Let's talk a little basketball. The Brooklyn Basketball Podcast. Evan Roberts, Mike Biseglia. My apologies. I am always tired. I'm always changing diapers. And so I have never, it's all my fault. I haven't initiated to Biseglia, hey, let's record a podcast in weeks. So I take responsibility. It's my bad. But in honor of Knicks Nets and in honor of the Brooklyn Nets being the number one seed in the Eastern Conference, and as I affectionately call them, the worst 15 and 16 in the history of NBA basketball. And I'll explain that in a little bit. Let's talk a little Brooklyn Net basketball on the podcast. Here's Mike Bisegli, a big star of the Bad Weather Fans podcast, where he and a bitch Nick fan. Now, that was too harsh. Let me take that back. He and a diehard gentleman Nick fan talk sports together. Uh, it's a great podcast. You should download it, the Bad Weather Fans podcast. How you doing, pal? I'm doing really well, Evan. Thank you so much. I'm glad we could connect. Today, I changed two diapers, one that had a number two, one that had a number one. I feel you on the diaper changing thing, but I'm happy to talk about the Nets who did not lay an egg. Well, they almost did against the other team in the area. All right, let, let's address this because I think there were a few different ways last night could be handled. We are recording this the day after, so maybe it's two nights ago, depending on when you're listening. Uh, you could brag. You could say, hey, Nick fans, I got two words for you. Suck it. You know, you could go to town on them or you could take the approach. And there's no right answer to this that I took, which was I wanted to get out of Barclays Center immediately. I wanted to get to my car and I wanted to forget that this game happened. Like, I know they won. I'm thrilled they won. I'll take a win no matter how I get it. But I didn't feel in any kind of, I don't know, braggadocious, cocky kind of mood after the way they escaped on Tuesday night against the Knicks. Did you? No, not at all. It was pure relief. It was pure relief. There was nothing else to it. It was we survived. We got the win. We beat the Knicks. Yes, I think these games are bigger. Yeah, the two fan bases get together. It's important to win these games for the fans and just for the overall vibe of how you're feeling in your mentality with these games. So, yeah, it was a complete relief. There's no way in hell you left there feeling cocky. If you did, you have different expectations of what you have for this Nets squad. I mean, you beat the Knicks by a couple of points, and it was pure relief. Absolutely. I was just like, we got this done. We won this game. Where I got annoyed was – where I fought back a little bit, not in a braggadocious way, but was the you only won because of the refs. And that's like, OK, well, let's calm down on there. But as far as the 
yeah, we got the win. I mean, the Knicks fought back. They played really well. They challenged the Nets in every way that you could. And the Nets are lucky to get the W. They survived the, the survive the game, move on, and 15 and 6. It doesn't matter how you win games. I understand that. But I think what it would have been different for me is when they came out the third quarter on fire, Patty Mills hits the back-to-back threes, Thibodeau calls a quick timeout, and then the run continues. And I think it turned in to, if I'm not mistaken, a 14-0 run in the third quarter. But if you bridge it to the end of the second quarter, it may have been more expanded than that. And the Nets had a 14-point lead. They had a 14-point lead. At one point, James Harden took a step back three. That thing goes down. It's a 17-point game. The thought I had was, this is what championship teams do. This is what I've seen the Warriors do. Oh, yeah, close game? Not really. Five minutes into the third quarter, everything changes. And so if that's the way the game finished, if they stepped on the gas pedal the way they did early third quarter and it never got close again, or it never got within five, I'd say. Like maybe they made it an eight-point game, nine-point game. I think I would have felt different. But I think the fact that they blew the entire lead, I might even look, we'll get to the officials in a second because that's a that's a completely different issue. The fact that they allowed it to become a winnable game, like you mentioned, a game they were lucky to win. The fact that you know, they put themselves in a spot where they needed Mitchell Robinson committing a dumb foul. It's just that was the buzzkill part. Like the Celtic game last week was so yes. awesome because it was just pure domination. And it felt like, all right, all the progress that you're seeing, because this team has grown since the two and three start, clearly, not just in record, but the way they played, you'd say, okay, this is the machine we know this team can be. And look, there's only a certain amount of elite teams in this league. So we'll get to the fact that they have been outclassed by elite teams. What you can do in the meantime, though, is outclass teams that aren't on your level. And I think that's what annoyed me. And it has nothing to do with the Nick Net rivalry. It has to do with the fact that when you're facing a team that you're better than, you want to see that domination. You want to see that championship look. And look, they, they were lucky to win the game. And that's not because of officiating. They just, one thing doesn't go their way. They lose that game on Tuesday night. And I think yeah. that's the part that kind of depressed me in a weird way. Yeah, I mean, I think they actually got the lead up to 16 at one point because I remember then they panned to Wanda Durant, who was in the crowd, Nets up this big lead, and then it kept shrinking. It was Knicks. Knicks went on a 6-2 run. Knicks went on another 4-2 run, 5-1. And all of a sudden, cut back, gets to four at the fourth quarter. And then in the fourth quarter, we have a back-and-forth game where it was pretty much lead changes all the way to the very end where the Nets, again, hold on and get the W. But, yeah, there was there was a feeling of relief and not excitement. And at the same time, I get your point about like, hey, they came out against Boston and they dominated them and they showed that they were the better team. Boston made a run in the fourth or got the 14 or something, but Patty eh. Mills hit threes. It eh. never was really, truly yeah. in, in jeopardy. Yeah. But at the, same, at the same time, with an 82-game season, you're not going to always have pure dominance where that happens. And this, this, this is it's an 82-game season. Wins are wins. They're 15 and six. Sure, sure. But they're not... Let's just be honest, Evan. They're not last year's offensive juggernaut no. where they can do things like that. This team has more feel of in close games, annoyed with them, but they are winning. And from a regular season standpoint, it's nice, uh, but it's, it's it's it truly won't be tested until what this squad looks like in the playoffs. But I can't I can't always expect them to just beat the crap out of everybody. I've gone with the mindset now that they're a very good team, but they're they're not a 
they're not a lock. They're 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 in the mix of the they're they're going to be in the mix in the East. Well, it's funny. I know we've touched on this before, but I think it continues to ring true. They're a better defensive team than they are offensive team. Now, mm-hmm. there are moments where they make miscues. James Harden, I think, not switching onto Evan Fournier on the game tying three was just, I thought, a brutal defensive play. So oh. there are going to be moments like that. But I think overall, this is just a better defensive team. You know, DeAndre Bembry has brought, look, he can't hit free throws, which drives me nuts, including the two he missed on Tuesday. But they just have more skilled defensive players. They've got better players defensively. Plus, you know, not that we didn't realize this a year ago, Kevin Durant's an elite level defensive player. LaMarcus Aldridge has been a really good rim protector. They're just, they're better defensively, but I I don't know that the thing that's tough. And I've been, I've been searching for this because they are 15 and six and wins are the only thing that matters. I mean, we're, we're both very similar in that when they lose, we can't sleep at night. Even though deep down, what does it really mean? You know, losing to the Phoenix Suns, what did that really mean? It doesn't mean anything come April or May. It's our own psyche. It's all that matters. It's the way we talk to our friends. It's the trash talk that you do to people. Well, you can't play with elite level teams. Hey, look, right now we can't argue that. When the Brooklyn Nets have played the elite teams in this league, and in my opinion, there are only three elite teams in this league until proven otherwise. The Phoenix Suns, the Golden State Warriors, and yes, the Milwaukee Bucks. Okay. Mm Who've won how many games in a row? uh, Pending their game against Charlotte tonight. I don't know if they've won that game or what the hell's going on. But again, we're recording it. So who knows and who cares? Those are the three elite level teams in this league. They've lost all of them and got blown out in all of them. Mm -hmm. Like they weren't competitive in any of those games. And don't give me the Fugazi comeback against the Suns. Now, I say that, but I also realize that it doesn't matter. Like it's going to matter, but it doesn't matter right now. So I I do understand that being outclassed by the elite level teams and looking like a team that doesn't belong doesn't matter right now. But I think as a fan, you still think about it because the ultimate goal is to win an NBA championship. And I don't know, maybe I'm being irrational. Maybe I don't know how to act with a team with expectations like this. Well, we we probably don't, but look at like, okay, last season, for example, the Nets big problem was, they could beat the great teams, but then when they played, they played down to their competition. Right. This year, it's a complete 180 on that where they're beating all the bad teams. They're surviving against the average team versus the elite squads. They're, they, they haven't had a chance. Let's just on the back-to-back after the Toronto win, that third, that fourth quarter was a disaster. They lost the game. Chicago, not an elite team, but one of the better teams in the Eastern Conference. Hornets, second half, awful. We saw what happened against Golden State. Disgusting. Suns made it close at the end, but Phoenix was just exhausted. Whatever that was, you said the Fugazi comeback. So it's the opposite of last year, right? Where they're beating up the bad teams, but they're not doing it against what do you the prefer? level team. What do you what prefer? Do, what do I prefer? My <laughs> yes. answer, my answer to you is it. I don't have a preference because it it will all matter again. It will all matter when they get to the playoffs. Evan, the Bucks last year were the three seed. I think they were had their worst regular season. In the last couple of years, they weren't the one seed, but they got their you-know-what together versus the Nets with injuries. Got it together, right. got hot at the right time, and won the championship because Giannis played at an unbelievable level. I could not tell you, I don't know the Bucks well enough to say how they played in the regular season versus those teams, but the point I'm trying to make is it didn't, it didn't matter. It didn't matter. We don't even know. They had their worst regular season, but who cares? They won an NBA right. championship. You're right. So, 
You're so right. that it's, it's just so frustrating because you're right. It's the trash talk. Well, the Nets can't beat the elite teams. Well, if they go into the second round of the playoffs and they go into Milwaukee and they steal home court, it didn't really matter what anybody said for right. four months. No, you're right. You're right. And, and by the way, I, I've made this comment a few times. I even heard a caller repeat it, <laughs> calling it to Keith McPherson, which is, and by the way, Keith's done a great job so far. And it's great to have another net fan on the radio totally. station, but the line of this is the worst 15 and 16 ever. I do want to explain that it's a joke. Now, yes. the joke originates actually from Mike Francesa and, and I'll explain it because I think it does deserve some background. In 2018, the New York Yankees won 100 games. Now, that was the year where they won the wild card, one of the wild cards. They won the wild card game, and then they lost to the Boston Red Sox in the American League Divisional Series, a sort of forgettable four-round series loss. Even though the Yankees won 100 games, Francesa and other Yankee fans, but mostly Mike, would talk about them as if they were the worst 90 win team ever to where Mike at one point said, and Joe and I got such a kick out of it because we're Met fans. Of course, this is the worst 100 win team of all time. And I remember Joe and I saying, how could you be a bad 100 win team? Like I, I know technically we could argue, well, this isn't as good of a 100 win team. Maybe the right. division was bad. Like I get it. I'm not saying they're all created equal. But we always found it so funny, like, ooh, the worst 100-win team ever. Can I right. be that, please? Like, I'll take being the worst 100-win team ever. So I use it every once in a while about the Nets, that, yeah, they're the worst one seed in right, the history right. of the Eastern Conference. They're the, the worst 15-16 and 16 ever. They're not a bad team. I'm saying it jokingly. Obviously, the concerns I laid out are real, but... I'm thrilled they're 15 and six. Like in all seriousness, if before this season started, I said to you, we're going to start 15 and six, you would have said, great. Of course. And that's a good start. It's the best start in the history of the franchise. Like I know, I'm not so specifying who they beat or how they lost or who's injured or who's not injured. Cause obviously this team does have some injuries, not as bad as others. Knock on wood. Damian Lillard's now hurt. Devin Booker is now hurt. Um, who am I missing? There was an, oh, Bam out of bio is now hurt. So, you know, knock on wood, Harden and Durant stay healthy. But obviously, Joe Harris not being there is a big effing deal. Uh, even to a degree, Nicholas Claxton not being there is a big deal. So I don't really think they're a bad team. I just want to make that clear to my fellow Net fans. I, I'm, I'm sort of joking. Right now, I look at the Eastern Conference, and honestly, the only team that truly scares me is Milwaukee. We'll see Bam. about Miami. Obviously, Bam being out's a big deal. That's a long time from now, though, that this would be a postseason worry. So I'm thrilled they're 15 and six. And they just got to keep stacking victories against teams that aren't as good as them. Yeah, I mean, they're on pace to win like 58 games. We've never seen a Nets team win more than 52, I think, is their all-time high. So if they're going to win 58 to 60 games, you're going to be pleased and enjoy it. But again, Evan, it just comes back to the expectations of, there's only one goal. The one goal is to win a championship. And that for me has been the problem with this season as on an enjoyment factor. I want to enjoy it so much. I want to enjoy these games, right. but they've just been a big relief after wins and nothing more than that because of how much I want to win a championship because I know this is the closest, this gap, this window 
is the closest that we have ever been as net fans to truly believing we can win a title. So these games are just torture with a sense of relief at the end, knowing that all that matters is what happens at the end of the year. But then at the same time, if they lose, I'm miserable and unhappy. And if they win, it's relief. And that has made for a 15 and six season where they're playing well, they're getting victories. They're playing better on the defensive end. They're starting to build an identity. It's, 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 it's on me. It's on my brain, but it's like, damn, I wish I was enjoying this more. I wish I was having more fun with this. And that's why Nick fans are like, Oh, that was just a great back and forth. Great energy. Great for New York basketball. True. But I was still miserable during the whole thing. Right, like it was, right. it was not a fun experience watching that game. It no, was, it, it was miserable. We you're a med fan. I'm a med fan. We're experiencing the other side of the subway series where the Yankee fan, not as much anymore, but I, I'd say in the early 2000s, the Yankees had nothing to gain. I mean, it was a disaster if they lost a game to the New York Mets. Exactly. We as Mets fans would go nuts if we beat the Yankees. We'd go nuts. And then Yankee fans would arrogantly say back to us, this is your World Series, which is exactly <laughs> what we would say to Knicks fans if they won. Right. Look, I, I don't want to lose to the Knicks. So I guess deep down, I was thrilled walking out of Barclays Center last night, uh, knowing what the alternative would have been. As far as the game is concerned, look, are, were the Nets getting more calls overall than the than the Knicks last night or two nights ago? Whenever you're listening, sure. Um, Kevin Durant got away with a um, a travel early in the game. You know, just to make Nick fans happy, that did happen. James Harden did not commit a travel. I'm not sure if people just don't understand it. Basic NBA rules. It's a jump stop. Now, if your argument is. Well, he didn't come down with both legs. Okay, then we have a fair argument. If he didn't, it is a travel. If he comes down with both legs, it's not a travel. The NBA's two-minute report said it wasn't a travel. Now, are the Knicks fans who bitched about it ignorantly going to apologize, or are they going to say the two-minute report is corrupt? I'm not sure. Corrupt. Okay. (laughs) Now, none of us knew that LaMarcus Aldridge should have been called for a three-second violation. I don't think there was any Knicks fan who said after the game, yeah, Mitch fouled James Johnson, but LaMarcus should have been called for a three-second violation, which apparently the two-minute report said. And here's the thing that always pisses me off about free throws. And I, and I would try to do this, too, when the Nets weren't getting calls, like when Spencer Dinwiddie was going nuts, we never get calls. I'd always say this. Looking at the free throw disparity is a lazy opinion. It's lazy. Because a team gets to the free throw line more often, doesn't mean they were getting the whistle. What you need to do, and granted, I get it. It it takes a lot of work and a lot of time. I'm not suggesting Nick fans have to do this, but if you want to bitch about Julius Randle not getting calls, show me all the calls he didn't get. Now, are there some? Yes. The two-minute report confirmed that James Harden fouled him with a minute and a half to go. Great. Okay. That's one. But whenever I hear they got this amount of free throws, we got this amount of free throws. That's not a, that's not evidence. And again, that's not me telling you that Julius got the whistle on Tuesday night. He didn't, but you can't just simply cite the amount of free throws. And anytime people do it and the coach did it too, Tom Thibodeau, he should know better, but he is going to look at the tape with credit to him. And so he'll look at every freaking play where he says, Hey, this should have been a foul. And I respect that. I'm not telling you we didn't get the calls, but to just cite the free, that's not right. Come on, guys. We, we got to be smarter than that. You got to look at each individual play and tell me where calls weren't going your way. 
And the, the part that and I'll double down on you with that and frustrating, it's like people getting a box score and then circling 25 free throws, 12 free throws. Okay, maybe there's a reason they got to the line and had an advantage because they were more aggressive and were playing basketball straight downhill and trying to get to the free throw line. Because the same people at the same time that will complain that the Nets got more free throws will then make the same comments of the Nets, the Knicks don't move the ball enough on the offensive side. They're just here's an Alec Burks three, here's an Evan Fournier three. They're not going to the basket here. They're just taking a three. Well, that's the reason that stuff adds up. And that's why there's more free throw there. Free throws there. It's like, oh man. Uh, let's watch a baseball game. Oh, the umps not calling calls. They're getting more walks than the other team. Well, that's because the pitcher's throwing the ball outside. The stats happen and they accumulate. If if you wanted every game to be equal, and then it's like 18 free throws, 18 free throws, 18 free throws, 18 free throws. Well, then you're just taking the game at you're taking the players' game away, and you're just telling the umpires or the officials make this as even as possible. Right. Yeah, if you're more aggressive and you do things to get to the line. You should be rewarded for that. And I'm by, sorry. Ta- you should be taking care of if you're playing the right way. No doubt. And look, one thing we'll never deny, I think we accept it and enjoy it, is Kevin Durant's going to get calls. I mean, the Kevin Durant miss dunk, in which I think it was Derrick Rose gave him a love tap, is it's a BS foul. And they reviewed it, by the way, after Tom Thibodeau challenged it. But because there was that contact, They weren't going to overturn it, but was that a soft foul? Sure. But let's not act like this is crazy. Kevin Durant's going to get effing calls that other guys don't. Now, would it piss me off when I was the other fan base? Sure. But it's the reality of the NBA. I'm glad we have it. (laughs) I'm glad that we have the superstars on our team. I think I'm not I think I'm not used to it from the Nick fan because in the past the Knicks would be like Jordan getting these calls. Oh, Reggie Miller with this. Right. And now we're just it's we're just experienced the new Nick fan annoyed and yelling at the team that's better than them. And it just happens that it's local and it's just weird to be in that same area. The one thing I'll give the Nick fan, I'm not saying any Nick fan is listening to this right now. And I really believe this. I'm trying to be fair. And I, and I always believe this at the time. It always surprised me how Melo never got superstar calls. I thought Carmelo Anthony as prime was a superstar. If I was a Nick fan, I'd have a warm feeling towards Carmelo Anthony and watching him every day. And I would always mention this on the air. It, it boggled my mind how he wouldn't get the whistle that the other superstars around the league would. So if that's something that the Nick fan is remembering and saying, hey, when we did have the closest thing to a superstar, and I happen to think he was, we didn't get those calls. I totally understand that. It's just irrelevant to today. That's the problem. But I always wondered that with Carmelo. And, and look, this is what we do as bickering fan bases. You know, every Nick net game, and most of them have been really close, always end right now with Nick fans bitching about the officiating. I hope we wouldn't. I know I wouldn't. I really try not to after losses. I try to kill my own team and not blame it on the officials or anything like that. But it's never, what I've fans never, do. I've, I've, I can't remember in my, seriously, like where you get to the point where you have to blame the officiating on why your team lost. I've never gotten to that point that I can ever remember where it's been realistically like we lost this game because the officials did this. I would, I take more pride of myself than saying that than going publicly and blaming another blaming the officials for the loss. I just think, I think it's sour grapes. and I think it's pathetic. I mean, it really, I, it really is. And when I saw that jump stop, 
it never even crossed my mind. It, it, it truly never crossed my mind that was a that could be a travel. And then people were saying that. I was like, he took a jump stop and he passed the ball. I, it, it, it boggles me. It, it, and, it, and it makes me frustrated and, and, and weirded out. But again, just thank God Evan Fortier missed his half-court shot. <laughs> that would have been tough, man. That would have been, that would have been uh, not fun. That would have been absolutely brutal. Uh, as far as the team's concerned, Steve Nash said something the other day that was so refreshingly honest yes. and depressing yes. at the same time. Well, you know what I'm about to say? I 100% know what you're about to say. Now, let's see how good your telepathy is. What was I going to say? You're, that he, When he was asked about playing Kevin Durant minutes, he goes, <laughs> yeah, I don't want to lose. Yeah, you're good, man. You totally read my mind. It's a great we quote. We don't, we don't pre-plan these podcasts at all. Like, literally... No. I say to Biseglia, we're going to talk Nets. That's it. Like we, yeah. It's a great quote. <laughs> it's an They'll amazing quote, it, yeah. but it's a depressing quote. I mean, because basically, look, KD's playing huge minutes, and it surprises me that he has played every game this season but one, and that was to give his shoulder a rest. Wasn't even a back-to-back situation. They do have a back-to-back coming up this weekend, but so far the indications are he's going to play. But he's played huge minutes, the, huge minutes. the only thing that surprised me is – I looked up, well, how many minutes has he truly played? I wanted to see the numbers. If you had to guess, what do you think he's averaging? He's played 20 games this year, 20 of the 21. How many minutes per game is Kevin Durant playing? 37.6. No, no, not even close. Oh, well, good. No, I know it's great. I'm just stunned by it. (laughs) The answer is 35.8, okay? Which is still a decent number. To put that in perspective, though, he has had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, seven seasons in which he has averaged more minutes than that. Mm. The fewest minutes he's ever averaged in a season, not so surprise, was last year right. at 33.1. So he's playing two and a half minutes more per game. Now, granted, he only played 35 regular season games last year. He's already at 20. Uh, for many reasons, obviously had the injury. It was a little bit shorter of a season. So I was sort of surprised to see that we all think he's playing huge minutes and maybe he still is, but it's not the number that it feels like. <laughs> it feels like he's playing 40 minutes a night. And the truth is he's not. No, he's, he's getting the six minutes and then the six minutes. What's happening though, is like we saw it last night, for example, and it, and it averages out because I'm sure there were blowouts. He goes out, he's playing 29 one night because they're up big or they're down big. But what happened last night, for example, when they're playing the Knicks, he went to him at nine and a half minutes because right. he recognized this is a one-point game, two-point game. I need Durant in here because I don't want to put him in at six, six and a half minutes when this thing's at between four and seven points. And that's where he was like, Coach Nash said, I'm going to win this game. I'm bringing Durant in at nine and a half minutes. Right. Right. That that like is an indicator of where he is with things. Well, and it's it, I think the other reason why it feels like a bigger number is the two games he's played the most minutes in are the two most True. recent games the Nets have played. The Phoenix game in which he based I mean, the Phoenix game was unbelievable. He 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 I think he played the entire second half. He right? did. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. He ended up playing 44 minutes and 50 seconds in that game, which is absurd for a regulation regular season game. And then the Nick game, he eclipsed 40 minutes outside of that. Those are the only two games he's played more than 40. I, I do understand what Steve Nash is saying. I think he can be more judicious in finding spots to give him a blow. 
Like the Boston game is a great example. I know the Celtics made a run that got it to 12 or whatever they got it to. There was no reason that Kevin Durant needed to play 37 minutes that night. So I do think, and maybe it's stopping the whole first quarter thing. Like you just touched on it. He plays the entire first quarter. He sits for the first few minutes of the second quarter. And he'll also is going to play the entire third quarter sits the first few minutes of the fourth quarter. So you're already off the top guaranteeing the 24 minutes out of playing the entire first playing the entire third. Look, I get it. They're not the same team when KD is off the floor, when both of the stars are off the floor. But as this season goes on, I think you're going to want to find rest for him because they're not even sitting him on games. Like he's not even getting maintenance days unless that starts with the back-to-back this weekend. So I do want to be smart about it, especially considering, hey, they are the number one seed in the Eastern Conference. They have a little bit of room, a little bit of a margin for error right now. Yeah, I would imagine that when February, March hit or whatever it is, when it's the dog days of the winter for these NBA games, he's going to miss some games there. That's going to happen. He's not. If Kevin Durant plays 79 games, that will go over the over prediction that we had when we were predicting the games for Kevin Durant. Yes. And then I would also say there is no way that from above they say, coach, keep playing him this amount of minutes to get wins. And as things move apart, like right now, everything's really crammed together. And then we start to see like the seating develop. I I can't imagine that Coach Nass has the same mentality. Got to bring Kevin Durant back in. We're playing the Hawks in uh, February and we're only up. We're down by three. It's going to change. There's just, there's just no way this streak continues from last year when it was, Oh, the Nets rest guys. They don't have the integrity of the league. Now it's like Kevin Durant's playing every single, every single game, every <laughs> single minute. It's a complete flip. And he it, re- the Olympics. it really is. Um, when do you want to, because I think both of us agree, there needs to be another opportunity for Blake Griffin. I think oh. Kemba may be done with the Knicks. I mean, I think they've completely buried him. But in Blake's case, they got to give him another shot. He got off to a terrible start offensively, but he still brings intangibles to this team. I mean, the guy can still take a charge at any moment. He still gives you that fire on the floor, that workmanlike ability. LaMarcus Aldridge is clearly better. And Steve Nash made the right decision starting LaMarcus. He's one of those guys you trust. Like there's a a trust tree with certain players. LaMarcus Aldridge fits that trust tree. With that said, I get what Paul Millsap has brought this team defensively, what James Johnson has certainly brought this team. And Nicholas Claxton's coming back and hopefully soon. But. Blake's got to get some more opportunity to kind of fix the early season offensive struggles that he had. Yeah. He'll get back into this. He'll be back into the mix with the team. He'll find some spots and Millsap wasn't exactly uh, brilliant yesterday. I know you mentioned the defense. He did have that one nice slip pass to James Johnson for a three in the corner, which is huge because the nets were down to put them up one against the Knicks late in that fourth quarter. But Blake's going to get some run. I just, this is the feeling out process with all these veterans. And I think you'll see stages where Blake will get minutes and then Paul's not there. I think LaMarcus at some point is going to earn some, not earn, is going to get some rest based on how they want to see longevity. This is not the last of Blake Griffin. That would be uh, that would be stunning if we never saw him again. I know he's shooting 16% from three, but at some point he's going to be back in here and that will happen. It's just there's no way this is the end of him after a month of awful basketball. He will be back. He will be back in that lineup. He will get some trust. And maybe it's just for him to figure these things out mentally and get him back in there to make some shots. Because I can't imagine he went from last year where he was 
okay shooting to now he just can't shoot. Right. To me, that's not an age thing because he's not showing the athletic stuff. To me, that's a mental part of the game. No, I get it. And and, and I'm excited to see Nicholas Claxton come back. The, the mm-hmm. problem with Nicholas Claxton is that he's been in the league for three years and he's barely played. And that's really the biggest issue. You go back to his rookie season of 2020, he barely played. You go back to last year, he missed some time. He barely played. And obviously this year he plays four games. He starts the first three and then he's in witness protection. Obviously, the Nets are choosing Nicholas Claxton's choosing, which I respect not to talk about what he was dealing with. All we know is it was non-COVID related and it was an illness and it's taking him a month and a half to ramp up. But what I think they need from Claxton is not just the switchability that he has defensively, but James Harden needs a lob partner. And it's one of the things that they miss. They don't have that. They don't have that athleticism, that bouncy guy who James Harden can make beautiful music with. Obi Toppin would be perfect. I know. I was thinking that <laughs> Obi and James Harden would would crush it. They'd be. They would be. If if it'd be like this is not the same. It's very different. But you look at Kenyon when he was early. Jason Kidd made him so much better. Yeah. Right. Yeah. If you put a point guard like that with Obi, he would be. He would have four to five dunks a game based on that. Stuff. Well, the thing that should excite Nick fans is that once the Knicks get a true starting point guard on this roster. Obi Toppin's going to blow up. Now, to what level, I'm not sure. Maybe his ceiling is a Kenyon Martin-like player. I'm not sure. But he is a guy that needs a capable point guard on his roster. Now, James Harden certainly fits that. Obviously, Obi Toppin's not getting traded to the Nets. James Harden's not getting traded to the Knicks. I understand that. But Claxton at least offers that potential. And so, besides his ability to switch and defend basically anybody one through five, I think they missed that from him. And so I, the whole thing sucks. I mean, Nicholas Claxton has been in the league for three years. They're going to have to make a decision about him financially. They're going to have to make a decision about him, you know, trusting him in any kind of prominent postseason role. And the guy's played 51 games in three years. And, and I guarantee you this, when he comes back, he's barely going to play because he's working himself back in a game shape. So at what point, not do we see Nicholas Claxton play, because who knows, maybe that's real soon, but when do we see him play play? We can go out there and play 20, 25 minutes. Yeah, he's not taking LaMarcus's minutes, at least if there's like not rest days or what whatnot because of how well LaMarcus has played. Yeah, he's going to get 8 to 12 minutes at this point, and he has to, he's going to have to prove it to get more. But it would nice, be nice to have that luxury of having him back where there are defensive spells where he can switch. So we don't have, like, I'll put it this way. I don't think Nick Claxton has his – I'm not saying it's ideal, and I am so in love with how Derrick Rose has played. Out of the Knicks, he's my favorite. I just respect everything about his game right now and how he's just totally recreated his career to become a very good player in the league again. But I don't want to see Millsap guarding Derrick Rose on the perimeter. It was terrifying. If that switch happens with Nick Claxton, it's not as unbearable. Yeah, no, I get it. <laughs> Absolutely. So they've got – the back-to-back with Minnesota and Chicago, a road trip in Dallas, Houston, Atlanta, and Detroit. Look, I'm not saying they're going to win all these games, but they're all they're all winnable. The bowl game, you'd hope to see them get revenge on for the loss in Chicago. But again, it's the second of a back-to-back. Uh, we'll see right. how many minutes Kevin Durant has to play on the Friday night against Minnesota. But it's funny, as frustrated as we are about they can't beat elite teams, dude, I'll look at the schedule. The next time they play an elite team, I, I, I don't know if I could call the Lakers that on Christmas Day, 
it's probably the Bucks on January 7th in Brooklyn. And, and so what you've got to do until then, just rack up victories. So I can make the joke that this is the greatest or the worst 20 and 18 in the history of basketball. Yeah, just keep Nets, winning. The Nets will finish 74 and eight. You'll go, this is the worst 74 and eight team in NBA history. I promise you, I will not say that. <laughs> <laughs> I promise you that. Anyhow, check out Paseglia, Mike Delivers Pod on Twitter, and him and uh, Alex do a great job with the fair weather. Uh, the I always screw up the name of this thing. Yeah, I know. Fair. It's okay. Don't worry about it. We're going to change the name for you. No, no, that, never do that, because it's a great name. That's the funny part. Bad Yeah, it was Alex's, uh, one of Alex's friends thought of it. Give, it's a good idea. No, I like it. I don't know why I have a mental block. I always just want to say fair weather fans. Yeah, but I don't know either. It's okay. Bad weather fans uh thank you for listening to another edition of the brooklyn basketball podcast